Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Pottywood, the podcast where we talk about movies with the people who make movies. And uh, if this is your first time here, then a very big welcome. And I don't know if you're joining us from our YouTube channel. I don't know if you've come here via Apple Music or Spotify or whatever. However you've got here, welcome. LinkedIn. 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 I was just going to get to that. Um, if you want to get in contact with us with about anything that you're about to hear in the show, then you can do facebook.com forward slash Pottywood, or you can get us on Twitter at Pottywood. You can get us on the r slash Pottywood subreddit, or as my colleague has just very eloquently interjected, you can also get us on LinkedIn, where we can also tease you about some management training courses. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and with me as always is... We had to get LinkedIn in first, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, for some reason, I always add an extra in on LinkedIn in when I say it. LinkedIn in. LinkedIn in. Sounds like uh, something that you end up missing when you get older. I need collagen and I need LinkedIn in. Comes <laughs> in a pill form or a suppository. One of the two. Anyway, I remember, I remember who I am this week. Ooh, uh, my name is uh, Andrew Roger Carson, uh, co-host of the show, and here to... Talk about movies. And if you are just joining us for the first time, we'd have loved to have a guest on you. Maybe he'll be dropping in later. Maybe, Maybe. not. We yeah. don't know well, at the moment. <laughs> Hollywood lifestyle, exactly. But the thing is, if you are just casually surfing the internet and find us, then welcome. And speaking of surfing, Steve. Ooh, I honestly thought you were going to use with the dropping in thing, you know, because when you're snowboarding, you kind of drop in. That's what it's called. No, 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 uh, no, no. I'm very sorry for the next 20 minutes. Um, okay, so for those of you who have joined us for the first time, we do a segment called What's in the Box every week because Steve here Hello. knows fuck all about movies. <laughs> He's seen nothing of worth until this show came along. I, I was actually quite attentive during the 80s and the 90s, and then after that, video games just took hold, and then that's it then. Well, that's bollocks, because we've shown loads of movies that are from the 80s and 90s, and you've never seen them before. Yeah, and I've seen The Rock. What more do you want? <sighs> anyway. He likes yeah. to be called Dwayne now. Um, yes, so basically what we do. Well, you know what? Why am I explaining it? That's your spiel. Explain okay. to the masses and the new people. Uh, what's in the box was the part of the show where Andy would try and improve my movie education. He would pull out the name of a box of a film. He would pull out the name of a box from a film. <laughs> and Andy it's really I, not this complicated, honestly. Great. I pull, the, he, I pull, he pull a, a fucking film out. film out of a box. All right. If yeah. you've not seen it, he has to watch it. Watch there it. you go. There he has go. seen it. You know, used to be. Certified fresh movies, you know, the, the creme de la creme. But if he gets a question that we ask wrong, he has to watch the creme de la crap. Yes. The film that 25% or less with some varying results. Yeah. So usually they're the ones I enjoy more. Sadly, you have. Yes. But uh, I think that streak may be broken this week because but, yeah. you ended up with 2015's remake very loose remake, I might add, of Point Break. Point Break, Ooh. yeah. And like I said last week, I have not seen the original. So I'm coming at this completely blank. I think the most I've actually seen of the original movie was that shot from Hot Fuzz, which is kind of echoed in this with Keanu firing the gun into the air. Yeah. That's that's pretty much all I've seen. Uh, but I just want to read you this before I go on any further. Uh, equal parts action and adventure mixed with inevitable drama encountered along the way. Experience the highs and new tricks are landed and new zones opened and experience the lows where avalanches, accidents and wrong turns strike. Immerse yourself in the cinematic experience and know that isn't point break. That's from the back of a Blu-ray that I have called The Art of Flight which is about snowboarders, and it is infinitely more interesting than this piece of crap. <laughs> Don't it's... hold back, Steve. Tell us how you really feel. First of all, I'm going to latch on to the positives, and then I'm going to go on to the negatives, but first let me fill you in on the story. 
Now, like I said, I've not seen the original, so I know that the story as a whole is different. What you have is you have a group of crooks who, in an attempt to try and give something back to Mother Earth that they feel like humanity has been raping over the years, they are traveling around the globe, taking on the most extreme challenges that they can attempt, doing a thing called the Eight which is a series of eight different challenges, which a Japanese guy whose name has completely slipped my mind originally set out. So they rob a load of diamonds, they steal a load of cash, they they blow up a truckload of gold, and in the end you have a former pan-athlete, I think it was called. Uh, Probably. Johnny Utah, who used to be an extreme sports uh, professional. Who's a, a motocross professional it's classed as extreme sport it's the x games we've all seen that the he's now an fbi agent after the implausible death of his friend at the beginning of natural career progression by the way yeah through sheer stupidity and now he has to infiltrate this gang so the basic premise is is solid enough and what you have is a series of incredible real stunts. Yes. Uh, that are performed by real uh, extreme snowboarders and skydivers and free climbers and the like in some incredibly beautiful and stunning locations from Italy, Austria, Venezuela, uh, Mexico, the whole movie is replete with these beautifully shot but not beautifully color graded no no oh i was going to get onto the color grading oh good i've got i've got points on that as well oh yeah carry on i do apologize for interjecting i hope you wipe it up afterwards um so you have these jaw-dropping moments or at least they should be jaw-dropping because these incredible moments of cinematic spectacle are interjected with some of the most bland charisma vacuum actors that you could possibly hope to see in a movie. They are completely generic in almost every form. There is nothing which makes them stand out from each other. All of them, apart from Johnny Utah, who has got long blonde hair, is swarthy and has an accent, a bit of a beard, a little bit of tussled or really, really close-cropped hair. They're hard to tell apart. You don't really feel anything for them because you don't know what their actual characters are. You just are just presented by these identikit people that you're somehow supposed to care about when they die, but you honestly don't. And every single thing which isn't an actual shot of someone sliding down the mountain or jumping out of a plane is punctuated by this quasi-philosophical nonsense about challenging yourself to try and push yourself and only you're responsible for your own fate in the world. And it wants to be so much better than it actually is, but in reality, it's just drivel. Yes. The only two stickouts are Delroy Lindo and Ray Winston, who, let's face facts, are phoning it in at every single turn. Yes. When, when you kind of look at the fact that they are replacing, uh, Delroy Lindo is replacing John C. McGinley in uh, Point Break, mm-hmm. and uh, Ray Winstone is replacing Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was good back then. As uh, Pappas. Pappas. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I had to watch yeah. this myself last night because I it, thought it, it's unfair for you to have to sit through this on your own. And I, I it was saw a painful it. experience. I mean, I even text you about twenty five minutes into the movie saying I am bored out my brain. It's not often that you do that during a What's in the Box movie. No. So I knew that we were in for a rough ride on this one. But there, there were some things that really ticked me off about it, and I'm very patient, like the color grading. The colour grading is the which one. Is, which How is... can you make stunningly beautiful places look so shit? Everything has got this tint of green to it. It's like you're oh. looking at the Matrix. 
It works for the Matrix. It does, because it's an right. artificial world, and you've got the green for the Matrix, you've got the blue for the real world, and everything matches up. Here, everything is just grey and blue and cold and sterile. You're in the middle of a tropical beach where the scantily clad people diving into the sea make it warm. Make me feel warm yes. when I'm looking at this thing. But no, everything just looks so damn cold throughout the entire runtime. I would like to say the colour grade is the only problem, but it isn't. It really okay? isn't, no. And I, I've got to run through this list here of things that really annoyed me while I watched it for the second time, I might add. And obviously, for me, it's coming from a directing and writing standpoint, whereas with Steve, it comes from a writing and an acting standpoint, I guess. Yeah. In some cases. I mean, the movie was directed by Ericsson Core, who you probably... Sounds like of. a phone line. It, it, does, it does. The new Ericsson Core 5G. <laughs> and this movie was shot on it, so don't <laughs> buy it. Um, the thing is, I mean, he's he was a cinematographer so so many great movies. So, I mean, he was a cinematographer on uh, Payback with Mel Gibson. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a cinematographer on The Fast and the Furious, which is basically Point Break remade. Yeah, so, pretty much. So this guy has basically seen Point Break three times. Uh, but he was also the uh, cinematographer and director of a movie called Invincible with Mark Wahlberg. It was a true story of uh, a bar owner who decides to try out as a quarterback and he actually makes it. And it's a true story. That's okay. a really good, well-shot movie. you know. And he was also the cinematographer on this movie as well, which I believe was his directorial debut. Yeah, because I noticed his name in, both, in the end credits doing both jobs, and I think he's probably better as, as, as a cinematographer than a director. Yeah, you're not Peter Hyams, dude. No, because the shots that he pulls out look fantastic, but that's the thing, they just look fantastic. The colour grading, that's shocking, but that's a, that's like a post-process choice. The, yeah. actual, the actual shots and the angles that he's getting for this this footage looks great there's things here i heard someone tell me earlier today when i was conversing with someone in one of the filmmaker groups that apparently uh gerard butler was extremely close to playing Bodie in this movie that'll but explain why the guy that they replaced him with looks exactly, looks exactly like, like gerard, gerard butler, butler. <laughs> yes <laughs> so i wonder if he actually shot footage with gerard butler and then it's like shit we can't lose this stuff um it's got pay or play Oh, let's find someone who looks identical. Uh, I do like the fact that some of the FBI agents were made up of the actual last, uh, the um, the the president's gang. What the fuck are they called? The the ex presidents. The ex presidents. Sorry, the ex presidents from the original movie. See, even uh, I knew that. Come on. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to block this movie out of my mind. I mean, I love the fact that. There was only very small CGI touch-ups. All of this is practical. Mm. You know, this is film is GoProed to the max. Yeah, and I think it would be amazing on like IMAX or in three D. I think those scenes would be absolutely stunning. You know, and I think <clears throat> that was the general impetus of the movie. Yeah, a lot of that comes across, and I think there's only a few moments, uh, like the there's a few shots in the Angel Falls section, and in the final scene where he's trying to surf the the wave at the very end, which just looks way too CG because it's supposed to be in a storm. But uh, yeah. those those properly stand out as not really fitting in with the rest of the aesthetic of the rest of the film. Yeah, I mean the biggest problem with this movie, it's a Generation Z update on yeah. something that was very much loved. And this came out around the time where they were making PG-13 versions of popular R-rated movies. So you had Robocop, you had Total Recall, mm -hmm. uh, obviously Point Break, and I'm sure there was one or two others as well that they basically just made updated versions. And some of them were all right. I don't mind Robocop. I didn't mind Total Recall. I thought, okay, I can easily separate these. But this was trash. The script, the dialogue yeah. in the script is so laughably bad. There's a line, was it? Everyone dies, it's just a matter of how. Yeah, which sounds and, like it's come out of a bloody fortune cookie. 
Yeah, it, I can imagine that this was made by a plate of fortune cookies. Um, Luke Bracey was their best choice out of all the people they auditioned. He made Keanu Reeves feel like Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> I have never seen someone try so hard to emote and not pull it off. I mean, even for God's sake, Keanu Reeves can pull off anger. Yeah. We've seen that. Luke Brace's delivery is so wooden, the surfboard actually rides him. <laughs> That's how bad it is. There are so many things. The old adage is, if you don't have a good script, you don't have a good movie. Right? No. And this stands out like crazy. This is nothing more than... I guess you call it a brand recognition remake. Yeah. I think is the term for it. Slap a label on it, point break. You know. It's it's tensionless as well. You yeah. have these big set pieces, uh, which involve like snowboarding down this really almost killer mountain. Um but the way that they all kind of follow on from, from one section to the next to the next they never feel like there's any kind of tension. There's no kind of build-up. And it takes about an hour and five minutes. I wrote it down in my little diary here. An hour and five minutes before there's any actual confrontation going on, before there's any real criminal acts that Johnny Utah is forced to participate in. Everything else is just like bros going on holiday, doing bro things. That's it. There's there's nothing to hold your interest beyond these, admittedly incredibly short moments, but there does there's no dramatic weight to them. There's no tension, even when one of the the bad guys dies. There's still no weight to it because you've got no idea who he is. I don't care. You don't care. He's no. he's 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 just a paperweight that gets dropped off a mountain. <laughs> yeah, in a movie about uh, what pseudo intellectual hipsters. Yeah, with nonsensical motivations, all they give is boring as shit, long monologues that aren't even really meaningful. Mm. In between these, sometimes breathtaking, you know, stunt work and camera work. Yeah, but the story is terrible. You know, it's got some of the worst forced fan service I think I've ever seen in any movie. So you've got the gun firing in the air that Hot Fuzz did a thousand yeah. times better. Uh, and, and, you know, various other things. Uh, there is zero, zero charisma between the leads. The original movie, which you haven't seen. No. Right. Now, Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves, you know, they had serious bromance going going between these. You know, they, they took the time to really build it. There is no bron- bromance in this movie. It's I think like- you also had established actors doing the original Point Break. You had Patrick Swayze. You had things. I think this was before Ro- this. Uh, that was after Roadhouse, I think, and uh, it was yes. definitely after doing things like uh, Dirty Dancing. I think it was around about the same time as Ghost, because I think that was about ninety one. But he was no, Ghost well was nineteen ninety. This came after that, so that was after it, right? Yeah. So Swayze had already established himself. People knew what to expect. Uh, Keanu Reeves was definitely starting to establish himself around about that time. He was starting to build up a fan base. He'd already done Dracula. Uh, he'd done Bill and Ted, so like all the youth stuff without there. I think Parenthood had come out before this. I think that was the late 80s as well. Can't remember exactly, but he was starting to establish himself. So yeah. he had a recognizable talent. These are just faceless. There yeah. is nothing to them whatsoever. I mean, here's... What I envision has happened here, I think it's a, mm. a room full of young Hollywood executives. They're all sitting around the office chatting shit one day, and one of them just says, Hey, did you ever see Point Break? What a cool movie. Do we own the rights to that? Hey, what if we did it, but with proper extreme sports today? Plot? Yeah. No, no we, we don't need a plot. You know, just just throw whatever in there. All people are really going to care about is this stuff. And we'll do it for IMAX or 3D. It'll be like Sunshine Superman or something like that. And that, I can genuinely believe, is the genesis of how this came about. No one wanted the Point Break sequel. No, no one, no one was crying out for it. Because it was a very loved movie. It's one of those movies that Patrick Swayze fans really like 
you know, plaster on their wall. No one here actually considered writing a cohesive plot. No. It, it None of it makes sense. The motivations of the characters are way too far-fetched. They're, they're over-egged, the pudding in their pseudo-philosophical gubbins, and there's there's moments which just make no sense whatsoever. Uh, like, like there's a section where they're, they're on two rock croppings, Bodhi and Johnny Utah, because they're, they're trying to steal all this gold, and they end up crushing it under a landslide and the two have got bicycle helmets on and they've got motocross bikes with the engines revving there's a landslide coming behind them and they're all talking like this to each other and they can hear them it's like at no point during the production meeting did anyone go uh excuse me shouldn't they have like lost the helmet so they could shout across this 40 foot gap or anything? No, no, they're just talking normally about the motivations, mo- motivations, the, yeah. about the motivations and the plot, and it's it. Oh, it's awkward. It, it's yeah. like it's like the woman in it, Samsara, who I always assumed was the name of the woman that comes through the TV and tries to kill you after seven days. Um, she's she's got one moment where the one of the bad guys dies, and she's setting fire to a, a funeral pie. She's got a grin on her face. No one thought to question that either. It's just, nah. Also, she's a character you could completely remove from the movie and it wouldn't matter. No, she she just exists for there to be a romantic thing with Johnny Utah. Yeah, and when, when you watch the original, which you will probably get around to one day, and don't let this movie put you off. The original really is a good movie. You know, Laurie Petty's character is so central to the entire plot as that kind of introduction into that world and the proper love interest for Keanu it it is shocking that a lot of this stuff just kind of got tossed away you know I could spend an entire day talking about the transitions within this movie that that are just baffling but um, you know I I do feel pretty bad for Ericsson Kaur he had a a shining resume of, of really good stuff and you know it's like you know, was it Roger Christian with Battlefield Earth? Ooh, topical. Mm. Um, you know, he went on to direct that, and before that he was doing stuff like Star Wars and, th- and stuff, and I don't think he's ever directed anything again. Wait, when did he direct Star Wars? He didn't. He was um, the DP, I believe. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, or, he, or he worked in visual effects, or something along that line. But he was... You know, he was he was praised and he was a name because of that. And unfortunately, then he became the name for Battlefield Earth. And I feel pretty bad for Ericsson Core because he is an incredibly talented cinematographer. And mm. Invincible proved that he was a very uh, capable director stringing a story along. But the difference between Invincible and the remake of Point Break is night and day. I just can't understand it. Was Invincible a fluke? I'd hope to think not, but he hasn't made anything again since. I don't know if you've got to wait another nine years for him to do something else. Maybe he's kind of like James Cameron. He's he's probably been put in movie jail over this. You know, that's got to be the only explanation for it, because this bombed so hard that they thought, no, we're not going to trust you with anything else. Uh, The problem being, it's Generation Z thought it was going to be a a great idea to do, but they failed to realise that Everyone loved Point Break, and no one wanted to see another one. No. They would have gone to have seen a sequel mm. of the original Point Break with the original cast, probably. But I mean, hell, you could have changed the names and changed the, the, the title of the movie and released this as something completely original. It might have floated a bit better and by itself. You never know. Exactly. But but for me, um, my biggest beef is the colour grade. Yeah. You know, that, that was unforgivable. There's also the fact that the the set decorator seems to be completely allergic to the bean decoration. (laughs) I have never seen such sparse sets in a long time. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It could have been something good, you know, because the stunt work, you know, all of the camera work, you know, the angel suits and stuff like that, the flying suits, I thought the scenes were amazing, and I can imagine them on a huge screen or IMAX 3D, whatever, It'd be amazing, but uh, unfortunately, it's just lost in a movie that doesn't act like a movie. No, 
Now, like I said at the beginning, it's it's like Art of Flight, which if you haven't seen, is exactly like most of the action sequences in this movie, except it's about the actual people that are doing them as opposed to these fictional non-entities. That's more that's worth seeing more than this. Yeah. Or go watch Day of the Warrior. Hey, yeah, definitely. Well, okay, that's that's your prison sentence for the week on uh, point break. Uh, we'll find out at the end of the show what your sentence will be for next week. Mm, but, uh, hopefully meantime, commuted. Wait a minute. I think we have a visitor. And not an invader? <laughs> no. It's not an invader. <laughs> Ladies and right. gentlemen, it's former Warner Brothers Senior Vice President Bill Daly joining us. Bill, how are you? I'm, I'm just peachy. <laughs> Good that to have you back, Bill. That means there's a pit in there somewhere, <laughs> you know. Either that, or you're just stoned. One of the two. I would be. Um, I'd be more likely to be sloppy drunk than, than stoned. <laughs> if, if I if I if I may borrow a phrase, <laughs> yes, a phrase that you coined a couple of weeks ago. Yes. 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 Well, you've joined us just in time for our anniversary section, which is pretty ironic because one of the movies you presided over is in this anniversary section. Yes, yes. We watch them again all of the time or we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Uh, we really need to work on a new theme tune. We've been saying that for two seasons now. Uh, no, it's, it's, we're used to it by now. We are. But a good thing Sadly. is here, uh, with Bill joining us as we covered these four anniversaries here, four. that he might have some uh, some interesting stories around them. Not necessarily Maybe. the films he worked on, but right. around Maybe. certain aspects of it. Um, but I do want to tell you, I heard, I came in late and I, I was able to hear the bit about Point Break, about some young exec probably said, you know what we should do, <laughs> right? Yeah. That actually happens. I don't know if it happened on that <laughs> film. It wasn't Warner Brothers, but that, or I mean, not Warner Brothers during my tenure, but that actually happens. I was going to say, because that, that was Warner Brothers according to the opening. Yeah. And then there's a, uh, it, but they might have distributed it and not done it. I, I wasn't aware and I, I haven't been looking for it. So, um, you know, uh, but that actually happens. And then there were instances many times where we would be contacted. My boss and I would be contacted by a producer um, or a director asking, do you have anything in your vault that could use a redo? And Wolfgang Peterson specifically did that to us a couple of times. And I believe, although I'm not 100% sure, but I do believe that um, Troy is a remake of Helen of Troy, which was a Warner Brothers film from the 60s or the 50s. Oh, it is me. I was thinking that was a direct um, reaction to Gladiator, which was a couple of years before. Oh, it may have been. I mean, the time was right for that. Um, well, I mean, I don't think the idea was original. The script certainly is. It's a whole new script. It's not a remake of the movie. I think they just sort of got um, the idea from it. I'm uh, now starting to wonder if there's an original version of Air Force One starring Robert Redford that nobody <laughs> has ever seen. Like a remade as a big game with Samuel L. Jackson. Ah, right. But yes, um, okay, well, jumping into the anniversaries, we've got four again this week, as we do every week, yep. and this is where we basically cover the films gone by and celebrate their anniversaries. So can you believe, Steve, yes. we're going to go back uh, to 1998 this week, okay. uh, a movie by the name that I know you have seen this, because I introduced you to it, a movie by the name of Half Baked was released. Yes, 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 you did introduce me to this, didn't you? Yes. I never was, saw uh, it. Nobody introduced it to me. <laughs> Next time, Bill. Next time. Yep. Uh, this was, I believe, Dave, Dave Chappelle's first uh, lead role uh, in a comedy. It was directed by Tamara Davis. Uh, if you know Tamara Davis, uh, she was the director of the Britney Spears movie Crossroads, which I guess we've all tried to forget about. Uh, the Adam Sandler hit Billy Madison. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess another I've seen film. That one as well, yeah. 
you have seen that one as well. I've seen that one. Yeah. It is amazing what movies you have seen, Steve. That oh no, never... sorry, I was thinking of Happy Gilmore. Uh, God, well, the, Happy Gilmore's the better version. They're all interchangeable anyway. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, also, another movie called Gun Crazy. Uh, got a funny story uh, from doing a bit of research on it, uh, reading an article by Jim Brower, who played one of the stoner friends. Now, apparently, because the film obviously is a very uh, stoner comedy and they're practically getting stoned throughout the entire movie, uh, Jim Brower actually stayed clean all of the way through the production. And on the last shooting day, Dave Chappelle gave him a bag of weed and he got stoned at the end of the shooting day and then was told a couple of hours later, you need to come in for reshoots on the next day because Clarence Williams III has uh, threatened to quit the movie unless all of his scenes get done in one day. Okay. So he was actually stoned out of his mind during that scene, but he was playing a stoner anyway. Wait, wait but, which, which one was he? Uh, he <clears throat> was uh, the ultra stoner who does um, the Jerry Maguire bit when he gets let go right. from his job. Who's coming okay. with me? Yeah. yeah. This has um, quite the record, actually, because there is only there was only seven months between the script being bought and the movie release. Wow, that's a tight turnaround. Very tight turnaround. That was universal, you know. And when you see the movie, you know it's it's obviously not a big grand spectacle movie. It's you know it's a very tight, similar locations, and it was a hit. And funnily enough, during an interview this morning, uh, I, I was uh, watching. Apparently, Harrison Ford was approached by Dave Chappelle to appear in the movie as a cameo, to which Harrison Ford. Rightly said, no. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't for the Steve Wright role, was it? That would have been brilliant if he was the stoned guy on the that couch. That would be brilliant. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. All he does is just turn and nod his head. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I would have loved were to have seen friends? Harrison Ford do that. Can, may I ask, were uh, they friends, do you know? I don't think so. I reckon it might have been a case of having the same agent, maybe. I'm not oh, sure. Because be. uh, it just uh, seems, unless you're really good friends, um, or there's something in common it's unusual for somebody to ask for a cameo yeah <laughs> funny if i don't kind of see uh harrison ford hanging out with the stoner crowd in the 1990s <laughs> but never said oh, maybe he, maybe this earring. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he had a girlfriend he did you know <laughs> you never know yeah. but uh yes half-baked uh released in 1998 on this week yeah. uh, okay uh let's go back uh to 1987 when a Richard Pryor comedy called Critical Condition was released. Uh, uh, no. No, I You're haven't seen, seen this one. one. I haven't seen this one, no. Really? Yeah. Is it, wow. Is this the one where he's got like a heart attack? <laughs> he's had like a heart attack or something? No, no. Although mm-hmm. the, the poster would mislead you into thinking that because it says Richard Gere is in critical condition when he's not actually the one. Basically, he plays an inmate yet again. In like the, probably the fourth movie in a row where he has appeared in the prison or escaped from prison or escaped police custody, uh, who pretends to be insane in order to get out of a prison sentence. That's still crazy, isn't it? No. Well, it, they're all interchangeable, I guess. But uh, basically, he pretends to be insane and then tries to escape this hospital, but he gets marooned there during a storm and he has to pretend to be this doctor. With hilarious results. What was shocking to me when I rewatched it this week was that Michael Apted directed this movie. Oh. Yeah, and we lost Michael Apted last year, in January last year, I believe. Uh, but when I think of Michael Apted, I think of Enigma or the James Bond movie, The World Is Not Enough. You know, uh, there's a movie he did with Numero Pace called Unlocked, which I think was one of his last movies. Or. The series Rome, he was directing stuff on that. Not a Richard Pryor comedy. That was quite a shock, because I, I was sure it was someone like Howard Deutsch or someone like that. Well, but you no. never know. You yeah. never know. And and people all liked working with Richard Pryor. Um, that, that film also featured Bob Saget, who we also lost yes. last year. Um, Bob and I went to college together. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we knew each other very well. 
Oh wow! Yeah, I forgot he was a very, that was a very early role for him. Um, also, a very early role for Wesley Snipes playing one of the ambulance drivers in this movie. Kind of a a blink and you'll miss it, but he shows up in two scenes. Um, Did he have his post-it notes with him? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No. Nice throwback, though. I like I it. Uh, also watching this film again this week, um, listening to it with a proper sound system now, there is so much ADR in this movie that it is really distracting. Like You can tell how many lines were just pasted on in post not and re-recorded. And some of it doesn't even sound like the character. It's like one of those BBC dubs that they used to do when they, they'd edit out the swearing with someone who sounds absolutely nothing like. We're back to Robocop again, aren't we? Yes. Robocop, Beverly Hills Cop, and A Fish Called Wonder were the worst culprits uh, for that because I'm sweat. They don't even attempt the accent, they just do it in a typical English accent when they do it. Are we um, still talking about critical condition here? Yes. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you what happens frequently. Um, I don't know specifically if that was the case with Richard Pryor, but there are actors I could name who you will never hear their real voice doing ADR because they just don't show up to do it. And um, they get sound-alikes. You know, and um, yeah. of course, they don't always sound alike. Um, there are actors... Um, I can tell you, I may have mentioned this before on one of your podcasts, but there are actors, if it's not a close-up or, or a two-shot, it's not even them. Yes. Mm. Is this Stephen Burkoff again? No, no. <laughs> no, it's the fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry if I gave the wrong impression, but Stephen Burkoff was not an unreasonable person to work with. It's just that they made demands on him and he had enough on on fair yeah. game but he was never unreasonable and and i don't think you'll find anywhere that he had that reputation um john ashton certainly could have weighed in when we talked about stephen burkoff during the um that little tournament we had yes uh but he didn't john never said anything negative about stephen no 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 but he's a professional damn it yeah, I mean, he's never really told me anything negative in regards to it, apart from, he just mentioned that I think he'd had enough of a Comic-Con, that was about it. Uh, critical Condition. Uh, this actually began as a serious drama starring Richard Pryor. Mm. But I believe uh, Richard Pryor went to Michael Apted and said, you know, this really should be more of a comedy. You know, I, I did a dramatic movie called Jojo Dancer, and, you know, it didn't do so well. You know, and, and people really want to see it as a comedy, so maybe we should focus on it. And they did. And well, that's why you buy a ticket to uh, a Richard Pryor movie. Yeah, yeah it, it was like yeah. when Jim Carrey started to do uh, loads of serious stuff. Well, and Bill Murray, when Bill Murray yeah. did The Razor's Edge. Oh, yeah. Everyone wanted meatballs and stripes, didn't they? No one wanted yeah. exactly. a serious Bill, just like when he did Garfield. Yeah. Yes, and prior to Richard Pryor, um, being considered uh, this was a project that was presented to Eddie Murphy and Eddie Murphy turned it down I believe it was to do Beverly Hills Cup 2 I believe at the time which is obviously where the real money was well I can't really blame him for that his stock was so high at the time that uh, made well that movie sense. doesn't get made without him no you can't have Beverly Hills Cup 2 without without him exactly although there have been some instances in history where they have just totally recast a sequel. Kindergarten Cop. Oh, God. Yeah, we, we've all forgotten they did a Kindergarten Cop too. Well, Cannonball Run good. 3, right? Oh, yeah. Was that recast? Uh, well, The Sheik was the only person who was in that from the originals. That was the right. only tie-in. Uh, did that yeah. with Smokey and the Bandit, didn't they? Smokey and the Bandit 2, yeah. I think, or 3. Yeah. Oh, it was 3, oh, yeah, three but or... Burt Reynolds did show up for a little cameo at the end. As a, the the dream sequence cameo that made no sense, but yes, uh, Critical Condition uh, was released and it did pretty well uh, back in nineteen eighty seven. Can you believe, Steve? Yes. Twenty years ago. Yes. This week, a movie called Kangaroo Jack was released. Ah, oh, right. So, uh, I I, re I remember this one. I remember the poster with a kangaroo wearing a hood. I think he was in like about a dream sequence of about five minutes or something, wasn't he? 
Well, he does appear throughout the film, but he only talks and does his dance bit, uh, which was heavily promoted in the trailers, by the way, uh, for about f- 10 seconds right. in the movie during a uh, dream sequence. You are right about that, yes. Right, okay. Well, this was directed by an English director by the name of David McNally, who worked a lot with uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, including on this, but he was also the director of Coyote Ugly, which is more of a cult film than a good film. Uh, Since then, he's gone on to co-create and direct episodes of uh, the TV show Justice and Beauty and the Beast, 8 8 p.m. Central on The CW. Um. Uh, as soon as old Bill is with us, you were vice president around this time. Am I correct? I was. Yes, I was. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, which rumors am I supposed to dispel? <laughs> well, which rumors are you going to debunk? Take your pick, Bill. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. Well, there's a couple here that I've showed up on a, a couple of outlets during my uh, research, but they didn't feel right. So I wanted to double check with you on it, which we have. But there's interesting stories about them. Now, this movie did open at number one, I understand. But apparently parents, or some parents, had said that they felt very deceived by the film because of the marketing of this talking, jumping kangaroo. But they say, obviously, it's in it five minutes, and it talks once during uh, the dream sequence. But they felt that the movie was also had a bit too much innuendo for what they perceived as a family film. You mean it wasn't a family film? <laughs> um, I, I know there. I, I, I'd heard after the fact that there was that the um, people were complaining um, because they were expecting the movie about a talking kangaroo, and they didn't get that. They, they instead they get this um, a car chase movie without car chases, basically. Right? They're chasing yes. all over Australia. Um, it's midnight run for a kangaroo. Yeah, well, I I also heard that described too. I also heard that it was a midnight run sort of thing, um, and and I don't know what uh, the writers had in mind originally because um, this came to us. Um, this was a Castle Rock um, film, and they they largely um, operated independently, not not really, but. In a lot of respects, they operated independently, and um, they were very, very good at making films. And so there was no need for us to get involved with what they were doing. Um, Is that Rob Reiner, Castle Rock? Yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Plus Alan Horn. Yeah, um, Castle Rock was acquired by Ted Turner and, and was part of the Turner Empire. And when the Turner Group merged in with Time Warner, um, we ended up taking all that stuff over. So Castle Rock um, immediately came under the purview of um, Warner Brothers. Turner Pictures immediately ceased to exist, and their titles became Warner Brothers titles. And New Line operated very – they were completely independent in almost every way um, under the Time Warner umbrella and, and free of us, free of, of Warner Brothers, until – Oh God! Until or like two thousand nine or ten or eleven or or something, we were. I know when I was um, when I was still at Warner Brothers, they were started. They were changing the logos so that the new line would somehow dissolve and become Warner Brothers, um, or vice versa. So um, yeah, but but Castle Rock, the, the people, Martin Schaefer, and there were a couple other executives that were were running Castle Rock, and they did a really really good job. There, there wasn't really any reason for us to get involved with them and tell them you know what to do with their stuff, except that Alan Horn was the head of Warner Brothers by then, and and um, so I guess he knew the secret handshake and and knew the <laughs> Castle Rock speak. So um, so what whatever he was doing. I guess he continued to do. So who would be responsible for the trailers for this then? Would that be Castle Rock or would that be Warner Brothers? I'm guessing it would have been Warner Brothers. I'm guessing it would have been, yeah. So um, ultimately under Don Tobin, who was head of publicity, but we had a whole trailer department and they had a name for them called The Idea Place. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, honest to God, they they called themselves the Idea Place. Okay, it wasn't a separate company or anything. They just called themselves the Idea Place. So, um, <laughs> okay. you know, they could have easily been the Mopey and Dopey Crew. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but, and I, and I'm not casting any aspersions on them one way or the other. It's uh, they could have made up any name, but. Um, I guess they wanted to be known as the people who always had an idea for marketing something. I think the neurons might have been misfiring when this one uh, floated their way, though. Well, I, I, you know what? I don't remember ever seeing the trailers for, for this movie, so I don't know <laughs> what they were selling. I do know, um, like, I had very little to do with it. I was seeing the dailies as they came in. But again, and, and the people who were doing post production for them, there there were um, there were two women who were very very capable, Trisha Miles and Chrissy Dimmick were the were the two women, and they were very very capable. There was a, they, I loved hiring them. Once um, Castle Rock eventually sort of dissolved, and they weren't we weren't really doing Castle Rock um, pictures anymore. Um, I hired those two women all the time to do um, Warner Brothers pictures because they were just great. They were they knew how to do the job um, and they were very, very good at it. And uh, they didn't need a whole lot of oversight. And And I wasn't being called every day with millions of questions about, you know, how are we going to do this? What are, what are the politics involved in this and everything they knew? So um, they're great to work with. Well, this is very interesting because this is Jerry Bruckheimer working with Castle Rock and Warner Brothers. And that just feels so bizarre because we always kind of associate Jerry Bruckheimer as a, you know, a touchstone Disney guy. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry was, um, I liked Jerry. Jerry's a really nice guy and he's really kind of chill in so many ways. Um, but I do have a funny story to tell you. <laughs> of we, course. We did the screening for this um I don't I don't remember if I saw the director's cut or not. I think I did, but I I this was you know, this is how long ago? 20 years ago? 2000 Yeah, 20 years. Yeah, it was 20 years ago. Um but I know I do know that I went to the the public preview that we did. We did it at an outside theater somewhere in LA and um they did it on a weekend. So I was able to take my son because they were they wanted to get cards and everything back from parents and, and kids. And they wanted to see what the kids' responses were. So I took my son, who was five um, or four. He was four or five. He, was, he turned five that year. Um, so I took my son to it. And, you know, the film started and he's sitting there. And, and, um, and the way the seats were arranged, Jerry was like right in front of Ian. Ian was to my left. Jerry Brookheimer was seated right in front of Ian. Um, the, the seats were sort of ones that rocked back. They had like springs on them. So they would slightly recline, not like they do today, you know, but they would, they would sort of rock back. It, it wouldn't be a, a problem if you're sitting behind someone because your seat would rock back as well. So somewhere in the middle of the movie, Ian stands up and he, and he says, um, dad, this movie sucks. Can we go home? <laughs> and when he stood up, what was really funny was when he stood up, he hit Jerry Bruckheimer's chair. Okay. So it alerted Jerry, and, you know, and I'm like, I, I had visions of um, being cashiered on the, on the spot. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I said to Ian, I tried to, and I, and I said it loud enough. I mean, I, I said it softly because Ian's talking to me in a regular living room voice. Like we would be talking right now. Okay. <laughs> but, um, so, um, so I'm, I'm trying to be a little more quiet, but I wanted to be loud enough for Jerry to hear. Okay. And I said, um, I said, no, Ian, we can't go. This, we have to see this movie. This movie's going to get much better. Okay. <laughs> so, so I persuaded him to stay in his seat and then I'm whispering to him to shut up. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh. Really? Well, there is uh, one last rumor on Kangaroo Jack, which I, I think felt a little bit odd. And this is what I really wanted to fact check with you. Now, apparently, the the first cut it, it was made as kind of an R-rated movie, so there was going to be you know 
a bit more of uh, adult humor and stuff like that kind of american pie style of this movie word is that apparently uh warner brothers or castle rock whoever it was spent an extra 10 million to shoot two weeks of additional footage in order to bust it down to a pg uh family movie and that was based yeah. off the test screening numbers of what was the r-rated cut now this doesn't feel right for a movie of kangaroo jack so no, no. can you inform us on that one it's not it's it's well it's not true i had read i had read that there was um, i think on imdb um i think i read that there that originally um they envisioned sort of midnight run style mob comedy um but i don't remember anything in the dailies that um that suggested that this was going to be like r-rated it, I don't think they, the movie was made for five-year-olds like my son, but I think it was made for 13-year-olds. And um, an R rating, you know, it's 17 and higher. So I don't think they were making – I don't believe there was ever an intention to make an R-rated movie. And believe me, a movie like this, they would never spend $10 million on additional photography. Never. No. They would evaluate the, – the way that – we did it before this movie was made. The, the, the Bob Daly, Terry Semmel era ended in 1999 going into 2000. Um, the way they did it was um, they would evaluate the test scores. And, and there was always going to be – and if a movie scored as badly as this did, um, it, and I, I can't tell you what the scores were because I don't remember, um, but I know it wasn't good. The, yeah. So – if it was scoring as badly as this was, the question would be, um, what do we do to repair this? Okay. And what will it cost to repair it? And usually it was in the neighborhood of one or $2 million. And that, that's usually what that would be. And Seems what would feasible those one for or a two... film like this? Yeah. Yeah. So what, uh, well, I mean, any movie. I mean, unless you had to go revamp visual effects, I'm, you know, I could see spending $10 million on, on Harry Potter if there was a problem, you know. Mm. In fact, the last, very last Harry Potter, we put $10 million in to, to make it 3D. But back to Kangaroo Jack, it would be like $1 or $2 million, um, given that they had to shoot it in Australia, you know. Um, you know, where would you score this movie right now? That would be the question. If you were to give this a letter grade, what would it be? A, B, C, D, F. With F okay. being the lowest. If, yes. And if it's an, if it's, so if it's an F, what would the $2 million get us? Would it make it a C or would it make it a B or an A? Now, if, if they're predicting that the $2 million investment would make it an A or a B, then they would green light the additional photography and say, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and do it. Okay. But if, if, um, if it was only going to make it like a C or a B minus or even a D, then it's like, no, we're not going to spend this kind of money on this. We're, we will put it out in a small distribution with enough um, publicity so that people become aware of it. And then we'll put it out on home video. You'll see it on VHS in the stores in four months. Yeah, that was going to be that, my next thing. They, they, they that's just, what we would do. They cut, the, cut your losses and just let it ride, basically. That's what we would do. We would put it out in February, okay, because that was the, like the graveyard month. Late January and all of February was a graveyard month um, because everybody was watching the, um, the Academy Award hopefuls. Because we're in award yeah. season right now. We are in award season. So we would put them out during the award season. And we'd say, hey, we put it out there. We, you know, if anybody complained, we put it out there. It's out there. We, we gave it a regular distribution. But everybody's, you know, they're going to see everything that's been nominated and re-released. You know, because if you, if you put a movie out in July and you start getting all these um, Oscar nominations, it gets re-released in January and February for people to see it, especially the voters, mm. to see it. You know, um, but then somebody, and I believe it was um, the head of our dis distribution at Warner Brothers, came up with the idea of the Valentine's Day weekend. So February now is romantic comedies for Valentine's Day weekend, and it's hugely successful. So that's pretty much become the model. But at the time we were doing Kangaroo Jack, this, I don't know, when, do you know when it got released? Have you seen yeah, that? Yeah, 20 it? years ago this week. 
This week, okay. <laughs> I rest my case. So they buried it, didn't they? They did. They must just, have. Just it was, sweep um, that under the rug. And the thing is, the movie could have been... It, it, we When we think about what it could have been, it really could have been something. But I don't know how to tell you how to repair it. You know, with all the footage we had. Because Jerry O'Connell was good. Um the uh, the whole idea that Anthony Anderson was good in it. Um, the the whole idea, the story was like really really cool. Um, the Australian locations did not disappoint us. You know, I mean, we had Christopher Walken in this movie too. You know, and <laughs> Diane Cannon, I, Michael Shannon. I mean, we had a a really decent um, cast in this movie. Needed more Paul Hogan. I guess yes. so. I, and I don't know what the, I, I just, I don't know where it went wrong. I don't know why the expectations were so high. And um, I don't know what you could do to fix it. I don't even remember what the additional photography was. It's because um, well, you people I, at I, home can watch it uh, throughout the week and let us all know. <laughs> yeah, because I'll tell you, when, but, Ian, when Ian stood up at that screening and said, this movie sucks, that did it all for me. <laughs> no, seriously, I took his word for it. Okay, we're moving on. Our last of our anniversaries uh, for this week. Can you believe, Steve? Mm-hmm. It's been ten years since the movie Mama was released. Ooh. Now, for those of you who may know this, this was Andy Machete's first big movie. You know, this was the movie that really got him on the map, and since then, he's gone on to direct uh, Stephen King's It Part One and Two. And also The Flash, which we're finally going to get to see this year. And uh, we're really hoping with it. He's got a really good history so far of really good movies, Andy Machete. Even so, though he does sound like Danny Trejo's like, cousin. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. <laughs> um, I, I was honestly thinking of, what was it, Mother? With um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence? No. No, that was honestly what I was thinking of. Mama, what is Mama? Mama, oh, obviously it's a horror film because it's come from Andy Machete. And this uh, starred Jessica Chastain. Jessica Chastain, again, two weeks on the row after I Zero still Dark Fate. I've got no idea who she is. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you can tell you do not watch any movies. You can't be serious. He's, I am he's serious. serious. Don't call me Shirley. He is, he is serious. He really is serious. My goodness. You didn't see Zero Dark Thirty? No. No. You haven't seen no. that either, which is funny oh, you because put that in the box. Put that in the box because oh, you'll yeah. enjoy it. It is. It is definitely in the box. We spoke about it last week because that was its ten year anniversary last week, which yeah. means two weeks on the run. Jessica Chastain was in a movie that opened at number one, so her uh, movie Mama actually knocked Zero Doc Thirty off the number one spot. Oh, did it? Oh. Yeah, that is a two punch for Jessica Chastain. And this is the movie, obviously, it's, I don't want to give too much away because this movie is certified fresh and it is in the box, so we will come to it. But it is your one of your special types there, Steve, the slender monster type thing, the slender man monster type thing, oh. which is obviously based on a mama. But uh, I'm not going to give too much away of that, but I thought it was very interesting that one, Jessica Chastain actually knocked herself off number one, which was pretty incredible That's... yeah zero dark 30 is a great movie too that vaguely rings a bell now that you've said kind of tall slender thing i think i've got a very vague memory of yeah. seeing the trailer i don't know I was yeah well mama was the movie that landed andy machete uh the task what people thought was the seemingly impossible task of transferring it to the big screen and uh, he did an amazing job with it because it is terrifying and that's the anniversaries for this week Okay, that's the anniversary's done. Uh, a big thank you to our guest contributor, Mr. Bill Daly. Uh, but we are not done yet. There's one little thing that we still have to wrap up. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Ah, yes, our favourite part of the show, which is where we find out if Steve is going to be tortured 
or whether he is actually going to enjoy his movie for the week. Explain the rules of what's in the box, Steve. Yes, I don't need to. We did it at the start of the show. I know, I know, but one of us wasn't here at the start of the show. <laughs> okay, Andy. Look, and there's new rules, by the way. Yes. Um, Andy's going to ask me a question. If I get the question right, then he's going to be picking from a certified fresh box. If I get the question wrong, then he's going to be picking from the certified rotten box. And basically, he's going to be keep pulling out names of films until he finds one that I haven't seen and then I have to go away and watch it before we record the next show. There we go. I'm done. Yeah, it's never gone over three. No. Okay. So, now what we have... You still with us, Bill? Yes, I am. Oh. Yes, but like like you were going to leave during this, <laughs> you're just dying to see him get something terrible. Okay, I have the question for you. Uh, ooh, this this is going to be actually interesting, Steve. Okay. Your question for this week: What is Tom Cruise's real name? Is it Autumn Shank? No. Is, is that your genuine answer? No, that's a Simpsons reference. I honestly... Oh. Wait, Tom Cruise... No, I I don't know. Don't know? Take a guess. Uh, Tom Hanks. No. Okay, <clears throat> wrong. It is uh, Thomas Cruise Mapotha IV. Oh, for that's God's a... sake. Jesus, he's got a few letters he could give away to people with only one name. Jesus. Yeah. Mapotha. We're, yes, which means... Steve, it's back to the rotten box again this week. <sighs> okay. Uh, so, are we ready? Go on. Oh! Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> Steve. No, I don't like it when you're happy. I'm always happy. Because I'm, I'm getting to educate you on mm. uh, these movies. Well, pretty much any movie that you've not seen, which is everything. You don't even know Jessica Chastain is, for God's sake. You have uh, a film from 2012. Okay. It stars Bruce Willis. Okay. It stars Henry Cavill. Okay. And Sigourney Weaver. It's called The Cold Light of Day. No. I know you haven't seen it. No. Because you you probably dropped out of the, uh, the Bruce Willis thing after this last Die Hard movie. Oh, God. Stop reminding me that exists. I know. It's but it's got Henry Cavill. So yeah. you might be a bit happy. But this film has a rotten score of 4%. It is officially Ooh. the lowest rated movie we have ever had on the show. Oh, I think Legend of Hercules was like about 7. I know. Ooh. So uh, you're going to enjoy that one next week. And we invite everyone out there to watch it with us for Steve's uh, review. Next week, when you why can don't find you out. give him a good movie to do instead of that? Why because he got the question wrong. That's... Oh God, Steve! <laughs> I, I, and did I... you know that he has a cousin named uh, William? I, I believe it. The pronunciation is Maypother. Um, he has a cousin William who's an actor, um, and actually using his real name. Oh right, Ooh. no, I didn't. I, I, to be honest, when I heard Tom Cruise. For some reason, in my brain, it said Tom Hanks. That's why. That's why I was kind of thrown. I was like, "No, I'm sure Tom Hanks is his real name." No, he actually married Penelope Cruz, and it's Tom Cruz. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing. Where he actually was dating Penelope Cruz, and it's like Cruz and Cruz. I know it was weird. <laughs> Who changes whose name? Uh, I guess that is our show for this week. Bill, thank you very much for dropping by. It's always a pleasure having you. It's always a pleasure to crash when I can. Yes. Yes. Do it next time. We might be recording. Uh, (laughs) Steve. Yes. I can make you feel absolutely terrible more than having to watch the cold light of day. Oh, God. You're going to do anyway, so you might as well go on. Go on. No, I'm going to wish your mother a happy birthday because you forgot to do it. I was going to do it at the end of the show. <laughs> I was going to do it at the end of the show. And you, and you and that that has been the running thing throughout this episode. Is I've been meaning to do things and you've been jumping the gun with it. No, no, come on. She doesn't listen to the end of the show. Yes, she does. She listens to the whole thing because she's my mum. Happy okay. birthday, mum. I'm not going to say how old you are. 
this is going out a few days after your birthday, but happy birthday. Anyway. See, so he's late as well. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I've already talked to her, so it's fine. Yeah, and Bill, obviously Bill can she's old enough to know better. Yes. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, thank you again for another week. We will catch you next week. Yes. So it is a goodbye from me. And I'm still here for the moment, but it's goodbye from me. Bye. 